we're coming up on being here about a year, and it's just so exciting to see um, just what God's doing here, what he has done, and what he's continuing um, to do as we lift up the name and work and person of Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that if he is lifted up in John 12, 32, that he is actually the one that will draw all people to himself. And so it's so interesting as a pastor and a church leader, and we know that we're going to have a big crowd on Easter, and so, yeah, you're here. It's awesome. And we plan and we strategize and we do our best to make it awesome. We actually make quiches or we buy them from Costco or Trader Joe's, wherever. We, make, we, give, you the, we give you the extra fruit, the pineapples even, the little individually wrapped cinnamon rolls. We got fun games and yard games and we even got some prizes. Come on, kids. Who filled out some paper? Who drew something? You want to see those prizes? We got an Easter egg hunt. But at the end of the day, after weeks and weeks of planning, and as I have been pouring over what God wants to share today, the best thing we have to offer you if you're new to this thing called church is Jesus Christ. And I'm not just being preachy. I'm telling you, he's the only one that can stand in the midst of the storms of your life and say, be still. He's the only one that can come to you when you're locked in shame of remorse or guilt because of your past and there's no hope for your future. He's the only one that can get in that cell with you and open it from the inside and say, follow me to life and freedom. And so it's Resurrection Day, a day where it was so significant 2,000 years ago that the, the, the followers of God changed the primary day on which they met, which they turned it into Sunday. Something must have happened. As a weekly reminder, they reminded themselves that they were a people of resurrection. They were, it was a constant reminder. It's just the scandal of gathering on a Sunday. We look at each other and we say, our God's not dead. This even, this built-in, implicit, every week, Sunday reminder, God is not dead. He's alive. And we're starting a three-week journey together um, in Luke chapter 24, jump when only faith makes sense, when only faith makes sense. And so I want to read Luke chapter 24, the resurrection account, starting with verse 1. It says, if you have your smartphone, you can grab it, you can Google it, uh, Luke 24, or there's a Bible in in the back of your seat. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices (laughs) allspice, pepper, come on, isn't that video funny? They took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, the other disciples, those who Jesus called three plus years earlier. And it was Mary Magdalene, Johanna, 
Mary, the mother of James, and the others with him who told this to the apostles, those that God had called out to be his witnesses. But verse 11 gives me hope. I don't know about you, but they did not believe the women. It's always a bad mistake. Come on, somebody. Because their words seemed like nonsense. I have to hit pause here before derailing my whole message and just say, if the resurrection is just a cooked up hocus pocus fairy tale, there is no way the earliest accounts of resurrection would include people whom God spent three years with that when they're told he was raised would then think it was nonsense. One of the just logical claims, there's no way the early church would narrate that if there wasn't a aha moment that happened down the road. Are you, check, are you tracking with me? And Peter, I love this, got up and ran to the tomb, even though they all thought it was nonsense. And he bent over and he, strips, he, he saw the strips of linen that once covered his body lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Say that with me. What had happened. I love this resurrection account, and while we're doing a three-part series, is that no matter where you're at on your faith journey, whether you've got it all figured out, if you do, come talk to me and pray for me afterwards, or whether you've been, you've been on a journey of doubt and discovery, or maybe you're on a journey today where you're like, man, I mean, I, the whole God thing, isn't it sort of like 18th, 17th, isn't it like dark age stuff? I mean, aren't we like don't we have it figured out enough that we don't really need him? And so for some of you, you have experienced the power of resurrection life, and you're like, no, dude, this thing is relevant for right now, right day, my every breath. But the point is, no matter where you're at along the spectrum of your journey of discovering God's plan for your life in Christ, there is room for you in this room to just be where you're at on the journey. I love the resurrection accounts. When those women came back, when they were startled, no one expected Jesus to rise, by the way. No one. And when they saw, and then the angels announced, I love that the very first response, it gives me hope, I don't know about you, was this seems like nonsense. Come on, can we be real? One of the things that we've done a disservice to for an entire generation, my age and younger, is we thought it was our job to not allow any room for people to question and wrestle with doubt. And I'm telling you, if we do that and continue to proclaim Christ, when someone experiences his love, they can never, they won't ever turn away because they were allowed a season of discovery. And so I just want to say at the beginning of this message I believe God's spirit is gonna pull some of you to that place where you jump and you realize there ain't nothing that makes sense but faith in the one he's proclaiming. But for some of you, you're like, dude, I gotta, maybe I can come back next week and I can join the two guys on the road to Emmaus who questioned the whole thing when Jesus is standing by them. They just can't see him. And I just wanna say that wherever you're at on your journey, God is going to meet you there through Christ Jesus today. Amen. Is that okay? I just wanted to set some groundwork that there's no coercion, there's no, we're not pulling a fast one, there's not a magic prayer that you can pray that will get rid of all your problems. I want you to know we are people that believe in the truth and reality of Jesus and his resurrection vindicated all that he said, proclaimed, and did. And so he ain't, he ain't in a hurry and neither are we. So I just wanted to release that grace over you today, no matter where you're at. 
and what you're thinking. Before we dive into the significance of this Easter passage, we have to ask the question, how did we get to chapter 24? Can you, that's a fair question, right? How did we get to an empty tomb, two angels, a bunch of crazy women who think, man, Jesus really rose, and then a bunch of disciples who were a bunch of thick-headed, unbelieving doubters who thought they were just crazy? Don't you love scripture? I love it. They don't edit any of the stuff out. Come on, that gives me hope. I don't know about you, for all you thick-headed people like me. Who was Jesus? How did we get to this place? We get a clue at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. After he was baptized and the spirit of his father rested upon him and his father's voice pierced through 400 years of silence. And he said, this is my boy whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Easter makes no sense if we don't understand the life and purpose for which Jesus was sent. And we know right after he comes out of these waters of baptism, he takes the scroll of a a prophet of Isaiah that he and his family and generations, hundreds of the Jewish people had been reading for years of someone who would come and make all the wrong right. And Jesus takes that scroll in Luke chapter 4, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus rolls up the scroll, hands it to the attendant. Everyone's looking at him. It's his hometown, remember? And he says, by the way, all of that's fulfilled today. And then what we see is this beloved son who was born of a woman filled with the spirit is also God's servant. He's not here to do his will, but his father's will and in his father's way. How many know it's one thing to know the will of God. It's another thing to pull it off in the ways of God. The character and nature. And here he is after spending 30 years of his life, if you study the Gospels, immersed in the everyday stuff of life, stubbing his toes. I mean, how many ever stubbed their toe, man? Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. For 30 years, Jesus lives a completely ordinary life, growing in a trade, spending time with family and friends, laughing, crying. I even told my daughter that when he was a baby, he had to go. My daughter thought it was the coolest thing ever. But Jesus had diapers. And I won't know about you, but I'm so glad that the, that the one that God sent to rescue me can fully identify with the monotony and everyday reality of getting up, punching the clock, going to work, coming home, going to bed. Come on, somebody, for 30 years... The empty tomb does not just reclaim and redeem your spiritual self so that you can get out of here someday and go to heaven. It reclaims and remakes every part of our existence. So what would this beloved son do? He would spend his entire life wreaking havoc to the enemy's agenda to steal, kill, and destroy Jesus is anointed with God's spirit, and the essence of his entire ministry could be summarized in one verse, 1 John 3, 8, the reason, someone say the reason, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 
Come on, someone say that with me. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So the reality is when the first couple in the garden agreed with the enemy and they incited a rebellion, they committed treason against the king of the cosmos and they wanted to become gods themselves of their own kingdom. What has been happening, and you just flip open your CNN or your Fox or whatever you do, you see the reality of a world with humanity at the center trying to rule it in their own ways that seem right to them. And what do those ways look like? So the reason the Son of God comes is he comes into the midst of that thing to destroy and cut ties from every angle between the human heart and condition and the ways and will of God, and he makes a new way. Jesus would spend his entire ministry, if you read the Gospels with us these next few weeks, as the bringer and the bearer of another kingdom, a kingdom that brings life liberty, love, and purpose, a kingdom that is big enough for the good enoughs and the not good enoughs, a kingdom that is good enough for those who have their stuff together and those who can't even lift their head because of their sin. Listen, Jesus, right in the midst of the kingdoms of this world, releases the agenda of heaven. He heals the sick. He sets the oppressed free. He forgives sinners. He calls cripples, and they get up on their feet. He eats with sinners. He raises the dead. He brings peace to a prostitute. He calms storms. He feeds the masses with a few loaves and fishes. He liberates those who are demonically possessed and oppressed for more than a decade. He teaches and he trains a few around him to do and operate in what he did and operated in. And in the midst of all of this, beloved, he invites all of humanity, come to me. Participate in what I'm doing. Get rid of your agenda and your little kingdom and why don't you jump on in to my kingdom. But here's the problem, and this is the Easter message. Eugene Peterson said this, the kingdom of self is heavily defended territory. Come on, you know I'm telling, I'm talking to someone today. The kingdom of self, me. Just go watch the two-year-olds. Megan, I'm sure, would love a little extra help in there. The kingdom of me, my, and no is heavily defended. Come on, someone. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's talking about you, bud. Therefore, when it comes to actually following Jesus, Jesus, listen, He calls us to deny that thing, the me, my, and no, so that we can participate and come to the kingdom that will have no end. And I want you to know that if you're here with us, and I don't want to give you a watered down, just pray a prayer, no one looking around, that ain't the gospel, man. The gospel is costly. It costs him everything. It's free to us by his grace. But listen, he's looking for those who will submit and get off the throne of their own life and acknowledge that he's the one true king. A caveat first, Jesus never required anything from anyone before he lavished love, grace, healing, and mercy on them. I want to say that very clearly. To the crowds and those who were desperate and longing and hungry, God and Christ just lavished love and healed and forgave. But to the crowds who were a little bit closer than the crowd, who were debating 
on whether or not they wanted to jump in or not, he made it crystal clear, to follow me, you've got to dethrone yourself. There is a way that seems right to humanity, Proverbs 14, 12. But what does it say? But in the end, it leads to death. When we try to rule our own kingdoms, we always end up making a mess for ourselves, for our neighbors, and for our world. Turn to someone next to you and say, I think he's onto something. <laughs> because here's the thing. We were not meant to rule our own thing, but to partner with him in his thing. We were not meant to rule apart from him, but to rule with him. I love G.K. Chesterton, this famous quote, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. I'm just trying to preach the truth. I know, Chad, it's an Easter. You're supposed to just preach this simply. But my point is, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to call you and tell you it's one way Then in three weeks you're like, oh, whoa, I got to deny myself. I'm going to the next church. The next thing. I want you to know by the end of this message, you're going to realize the best news today is that you get to deny yourself and get to receive the life of Christ. That was good. And so Jesus looks to those who want to follow him, who are interested in jumping in. He loves them so much right where they're at. He heals them. He forgives them. He feeds them. But as they're on the verge on, is this real? Is he worth following? He looks at him and says, if you want to be my disciple, which is a fancy big word, which if you want to be a life learner in the school of my kingdom to look and live and serve like I do, you've got to deny yourself, take up that cross, baby, and follow me every single day. And when we start to get a handle on who Jesus was and what he did and how he lived and how he loved and how everyone around him became better, how he lived his entire life as a servant, not as one to be served, how he spent his entire life with people on the wrong side of the tracks who didn't get the degree and who did not have the bank account to prove that they were worth his time. When you realize the magnitude to which Jesus stooped to reveal the Father's love, you realize, man, denying myself really isn't all that bad if I get that kind of life. Jesus has made it available to us on the other side of his cross. This is intense, I know. Jesus is offering us, however, when we deny ourselves, an entire new world, a new kingdom, a new identity, a new everything. Say everything. And now we're finally getting to why he had to hang on a cross. You see, Jesus did not just come to forgive the sins of humanity and then let us keep ruling and rolling the thing like we thought we could without him. I want you to know that Jesus came to literally split history and make an entire new realm and reality available to us if we would submit to him and follow in his ways. In other words, Jesus did not come and did not spill his blood. There were plenty of bulls, goats for a millennia that they were sacrificed in the name of forgiveness. He did not come just to continue that system. He came to usher in a brand new reality that we would no longer be enslaved to the tyranny of ourselves and we could be liberated and set free to serve him and experience life as we give it away. He did not come just to put a band-aid on the problem. He came so that his spirit could scoop out the problem from the human heart and give us a brand new heart that looks and loves and beats like his. He had to die on his cross 
so that the life he lived could become ours by faith. He's looking for a trade. And that's a stinking good trade, if you ask me. Christ died once and for all so that Christ's life could be available to all. He became as we are so that by his grace and spirit we could become as he is. You might think to yourself, who does Jesus think he is to ask me to deny myself? Come on, somebody. Jesus, you don't know how awesome I am. Why don't you ask the person next to you how awesome you are when you're in control? When it's just you doing your thing at the expense of everyone around you. If you're sitting next to someone that loves you, they're honest with you right now. The call to forsake ourselves is not God trying to shrink our little old existence so that we're just a bunch of religious boredom people. The fruit of self, unsurrendered, is what we see happening in Syria right now. The fruit of self, unsurrendered, is what we see when people don't care about the least of these and continue. Do you understand? The fruit of self, when Jesus said deny that thing, he was doing the farthest thing from trying to shrink our life. He was trying to get us out of the realm and reality of perpetual cycles of death so that we could escape through his grace and love and we could start releasing the life and the agenda of heaven instead of the agenda of hell. Who does he think he is to tell me to deny myself? Beloved, that is the greatest thing he could ever call us to because left unchecked, all we know how to do is make a mess and to bring death. This is the most clearly described. Look at this, how this war to deny self on the cross. We're almost there to the resurrection passage again and we're wrapping this puppy up. Because I like puppies. Pilate said in, in chapter 23, In light of all this, you brought me this man who you say is inciting rebellion, but I've examined him and I've found nothing to charge against him. Someone say nothing. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I'm just going to punish him and release him. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man. Do you think the kingdom of self is heavily defended? Because if he's the true king, that means by logic and default, and all of us saying all that, we're not kings, queens. And so he released Barabbas, an insurrectionist, one who was a violent revolutionary, because humanity always thinks there's a way that seems right, but it always leads to death. And here Barabbas, a murderer, is released instead of Jesus, the prince of peace. And they cried out, the crowds that were shouting for his coronation, just a few hours earlier to be king, are now saying crucify him. So Pilate granted their request. And then verse 25 is really the commentary over the world is that God allowed Jesus, verse 25, to be surrendered to our will. Whoa, you talk about a backward, upside-down equation. In him was life and life to the full. He came to his own, but they didn't receive him. And so here's Jesus the only one to never rebel against heaven's agenda, to bring life and forgiveness and healing and 
to calm storms and to lift up the weary and the brokenhearted, the only one who never participated in this little old thing called death. Here's Jesus, the only innocent one among us, being surrendered to the people's will. And they say, crucify him because he's infringing upon the territory of my kingdom. I don't got no space for another king. Are we doing okay? I'm telling you, if you receive this message, your life will never be the same. And so Jesus says, already he took care of the business. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And here we see humanity's will to kill the king and the father's will to give up his son as a sacrifice, colliding and overlapping. What was the centerpiece of that battle? Who's going to rule the world? And in this collision, instead of putting up his big old cosmic side dukes, size dukes, whatever that means, dukes, hands, he allows them to be outstretched. Because he knows the only way this puppy starts turning in the other direction is if someone never agrees with its agenda. The only way for death to stop reigning in the world is to allow death to take its final and definitive blow out on me. No, no, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He can cry from the cross. But once and for all, enough is enough. You just submit to me. I didn't come to diminish your life. I came to give you life by dying. And King Jesus hangs there and darkness covers the earth because of the cosmic battle for the hearts and the allegiance of all of humanity. And Jesus knows the only way to buy us out of our slavery to perpetual cycles of sin and death and bondage and darkness is to let all of the weight of it rest upon his shoulders. He dies. They bury him in a tomb. And everyone thought, bummer. Try and fail. Another awesome teacher guy who's charismatic and can do some cool stuff, but he died. Come on, somebody. You got to see, see the scandal of Easter. If he don't raise, this whole thing is a joke. A lot of people died for stuff. A lot of people die for stuff. Are you tracking with me? But only one in human history, according to 500 plus eyewitnesses of his day, walked out of that thing. And he said, hey, new creation is coming with me. A new life, new world. He's coming with me. It's just logic 101. If peace and prosperity and justice and harmony and utopia were humanly attainable, we would have figured it out by now. Do you know how powerful my iPhone is? Come on, if we could have got ourselves out of our mess, we would have figured it out by now, but we couldn't. So 2,000 years ago, God sends the solution. He sends the Son of God to become just like us so that now we could become just like him. No one saw it coming. No one saw it coming. Sure, the Jewish people believed that the righteous would someday be raised. Remember that encounter in John 11? But Jesus says, no, 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 girl. You don't understand. Right now, new creation is breaking out into this old creation. Right now. Now, the reality of the life and love and what I've come to bring in my kingdom, it broke out of the tomb with me. You couldn't 
keep it down. Even though they gave me over to their will, there was a higher will that I submitted to on that day. And his will is to bring life and forgiveness and healing to all the world. The lie of the enemy has always been in God. Life is restrictive and reclusive. God's holding out on you. You can't trust him. But Jesus hangs and he takes the full weight of that thing. And he says, oh, you can trust him because he rose me three days later. Jesus hangs for us so that he can free us from an endless cycle of death and self and just trying to figure it out. Jesus definitively demolished the works of darkness, paid for our sin, and through the empty grave says, follow me. You you got to deny your old story because there's no room for that in this new story called life, called my kingdom. In the context of the full scope of the gospel, and I've just given you a scratch of the surface, it only makes sense that Jesus in his mercy and grace would say, deny yourself. Follow me in the new and the living way. You see, Scripture tells us that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And I want you to know it wasn't just a few select people that he came to save. He came to salvage the entire human experience. Your work, your marriage, your finances, your relationship, what you do with your, your money, your hobbies. He came to bring kingdom life all over the whole thing. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to restore humanity to the glory and image of God. To usher in an entirely new way to be human. Now not with humanity at the center, but with God enthroned on the heart of the believer. Seeking to live and participate in this kingdom of peace. The way to love and live and flourish in this world will only be found by the one who came to seek and save and salvage the whole thing. The human experience. All of this is not so that we can get out of here and pray some fast little prayer and do what we want. It's so that we can submit to the king of the world and live the rest of our life bringing his reality to bear on ours. How many need the kingdom to break out in your life? There's a few of you. I mean, we need, how many need the king of peace, the king of provision, the king of power? Come on, how many need the king who can pardon your sin to break into your family? into your life, into your finances, into your body, into your mind. Jesus hangs there. But he didn't stay there. Come on, somebody. The cross pointed to the grave. And as Peter, in verse 12 of our resurrection passage, I love it, he wondered about these things. Don't you love the scriptures? That Jesus wasn't in, that he wasn't in a hurry for them to seal the deal. These guys got to live with the king of the universe for three plus years. What do you think today? I've come to bring you life. I've come to seek and to save and to salvage your entire existence. I didn't just come to be an amendment or an appendage to your already busy, self-centered life. I came to pull you from that endless cycle of mess and to establish you in my kingdom of love and of life. 
But from here to there, you gotta deny and realize that I'm the only fit one to rule the world, your life. And when I'm ruling, my righteousness rains down and life springs up from the ground. So the call today, because he loves us so much, is to deny ourselves to receive the life of Christ and to begin to walk one little step, baby step at a time, what it means to be a person that lives in the midst of a bunch of kingdoms but who's living in a kingdom that will have no end, a kingdom that cannot be stopped, a kingdom that is not run the way humanity thinks, but the one whom God in Christ through his death and resurrection has forever said, this is the way it is. Now follow me and be a part of it. So Lord, I ask in Jesus' name as we ponder with the apostles, the disciples, those in Luke, news of the empty tomb surprises us. It shocks us because people don't do that. Thank you for making space for us, even today, to ponder. What's up with the linen lying on the rock? What is this angelic announcement that the son was delivered to the hands of sinners, but he's been raised again? Father, may we, like those women who ran to anoint And to make your smelling, supposed decaying body smell better, may we, like them, leave our spices in the tomb and run out declaring we found life. Jesus, I pray that you would just release grace and mercy over every person in this room. That, Lord, we would hear your call to deny ourselves so that we could participate in your kingdom. And it's all by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.